Hello, listeners. You are about to listen to the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. This is a show for any and all baseball fans and is led by myself and my co-host, Travis. I'm what you'd call a stats nerd, and my buddy Travis was a total stud on his D3 college team. Our goal is to show you how we view the game of baseball, and maybe we'll share a few laughs along the way. So grab a drink, kick back, and join us on this wonderful ride through the 2022 MLB offseason lockout. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, episode 46. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is January 17th, 2022. Uh, still in lockout phase, Alex. And honestly, I feel like it's honestly, it feels like our first episode, I feel like, of 2022. I feel I know we've taken kind of a break with vacations and stuff, but uh it's kind of good to get back into it. I know uh, we got Hall of Fame voting happening in one week. So it's kind of crunch time when it comes to these episodes, and we're talking about Hall of Famers, guys maybe who are going to get snubbed, last guys on the ballot. Um, so I guess kicking it off with this episode today, Alex, you know, we want to talk about our biggest Hall of Fame snubs, who those guys have been um, throughout the years. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about, of course, our ballots and who do we think should get in uh, before the January 25th deadline. That's when the votes will be coming in, and you'll get to see who is going to be in Cooperstown in 2022 if anyone else is in because last year right. of course no one was in but uh I, I I'm I'm leaning that we're gonna see at least one hopefully at least one guy gets nominated this year um but we'll have to wait and see we'll go through that more next week but this week of course we want to talk about um our biggest snubs Hall of Fame snubs throughout the years guys that honestly had fantastic careers and for some reason just did not get in through the voters uh, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about kind of just briefly, we'll start off by talking a little bit about the lockout. We're still in a lockout phase. Um, there was a meeting this past week between the owners and the players union. Uh, we'll take a deep dive into that. Also talk about uh, John Lester, Alex, on his retirement. Uh, one of the one of the one of the one of a really good left handed pitcher of the past decade, I'd say, honestly, the past 15 seasons. Um, he's been up there with some of the greats, but uh, I would say he had a very good career, um, definitely a winner, uh, three-time World Series champion, um, played on a lot of good teams. We'll get into his stat line, talk about him for a little bit. And then there's also uh, Emily Radio came out with the rankings a couple days ago, and they pretty much gave their top 10 going into 2022. This is position players and starting pitchers. And it was a very interesting top 10. Um there's one guy they left out of the top three that I just don't know why you can leave this guy out of the top three. I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. So we'll take a deep dive into that too. But of course, the main part of the episode is the Hall of Fame snubs. Uh, but Alex, let's start out with the lockout. Uh, you know, right now we're just about, yeah, we're mid-January. No decision yet. Football season is at its peak right now because yeah. you have playoffs. And I think a lot of people were saying that a deal would probably be get done late January, just around the Super Bowl. So we're still maybe trending towards that. But we have pitchers and catchers that report in literally one month. So how do you kind of see this thing shaping up in the next at least one month? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I think there's going to be some sort of delay of work or whatever you want to call it. There's like a term for it, but I don't think a deal will be made like and, you know, I think I think essentially I'm not saying spring training is going to get, you know, canceled or anything. But I'm just saying I think when people start reporting, I think that will be pushed back at some point just because there's been one meeting and 
all we've really heard is that the MLB made an offer to the Players Association, and it was considered kind of, not, I wouldn't say a joke, but it was considered, you know, not that seriously of an offer. So I think because of that, we're not really on the verge of a breakthrough. I think it may take some time for the, some more back and forth to happen uh, in February. Um, I'm hoping that spring training uh, will happen. I think I read today somewhere, Travis, that as long as spring training s- starts at the latest March 15th, they can start the season on opening day on time still. Yeah. So um, I think that's still in play. I think that's still definitely... I think we're still, you know, we're not we shouldn't be too worried about that yet. And we should be kind of monitoring that because we have not yet seen, you know, really competitive offers back and forth between the player association and the owners for a, you know, a bargaining agreement, but uh yeah, Travis, I'm still of the mindset that they just got to figure this out. Um it'll be better for all the fans once it's figured out. It'll be better for, you know, the game as a whole. Uh I think that the owners even though, so the owners lock out the players. That's the way it works. So the owners are really, I feel like the burden's on them in my mind. Um, and I think they know that they don't want to miss revenue on missing, you know, games of the season. If you lose two weeks of the season, that's two weeks of selling out your, you know, your stadium and two weeks of, you know, not selling merchandise. Uh, you can't use the players' names until there's an agreement. So you're just kind of losing money on revenue left and right. Um, the longer the lockout lasts. So I think that they probably know that and the players might use that as some sort of leverage to, um, you know, come to a deal. But I remember Travis in the 60 game, when the 60 game season was coming around in 2020, the players pretty much said like, what there was rumors about like no season at all. Like that was like a rumor for a while. And the players mm-hmm. said, we are ready to play. Tell us when to report and we'll be there. We'll figure out the logistics later. They want to get paid, obviously, what what they're owed to be paid. But they said we don't want to miss a whole season. Like, we, like just tell us when to report, and we'll report, kind of thing. So, I think at the end of the day, um, they're gonna get it done before it's too late. But uh, yeah, I still feel like they're taking their sweet time, kind of uh, getting into late January. And I'd say you know only one meeting so far, pretty minimal progress in my mind. Yeah, and honestly, uh, going back to what you said about you know how much time do you think you really need? I mean, honestly, I know I'm not, I'm not an MLB player. I'm not an MLB owner. I'm none of these, but you know, I think that you could definitely get a 40 man roster, a 25, uh, a 25 man roster, honestly, ready to go. If you had a deal ready by March 1st, that would give you one full month to kind of get everything into action. Yeah. Pitchers and catchers would be two weeks pretty much off schedule, but I think honestly, you can get some of those guys, uh, going in one month. Um, I see a lot of guys, I feel like pitchers and catchers report, and get six weeks of work in because they want to, of course, take their time, ease into it. They would still be doing that. You'd probably see, honestly, if the season started on schedule, you would probably see a lot of pitchers going, honestly, starting pitchers, you'd see them maybe going five innings to start the season off, probably start them off very minimal. And then, of course, as May, June gets there, then they'd start going into nine-inning games if they can get that far. But, um, yeah, Yeah. anything to add on that? Yeah, it's just, it's kind of unfortunate because i mean these guys are going to be on throwing programs uh already like throughout the offseason uh they know that you know opening day in their mind if things go according to plan opening day is just you know a couple months away a few months away so with that in mind you know they're they're going to be getting their reps in but it does stink to if you have to delay 
you know, when you can meet with your coaches that you're going to have the whole season, when you're going to meet with your, some teams have new, new pitching coaches or new staff altogether, and you can't even meet with them until this deal gets uh, impl- uh, put in place. So it's just kind of unfortunate that uh, it's taking some time, but I'm not too concerned about like, you know, I don't think the season's in jeopardy or anything like that. Yeah, and hopefully, honestly, I know it's it's a while. I know Super Bowl Sundays, I think it's February 13th, but if there's not a deal by February 13th, hopefully that's just a huge kick in the butt for both of these uh, different parties to really get something going because we all know when the Super Bowl ends, it, it's it's kind of pretty much baseball season. I know we still have, of course, hockey and, and NBA to still watch, but I feel like baseball season is right there, right around the corner. Usually after the Super Bowl, the next week, that's when pitchers and catchers report. That's when you start seeing those videos of guys getting workouts in Florida and Arizona. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, once we get more news, we'll definitely be talking about that. Uh, but let's just hope and, and cross our fingers that, you know, maybe possibly by the end of January, we can definitely have some sort of, good outlook on where this is going to go uh alex we'll kind of turn the tide now and go towards uh a certain player that we mentioned john lester headed for retirement uh john lester had a 16-year career played with the boston red sox uh a good chunk of his career and then of course had a short stint in oakland a half a season got traded to oakland and then of course had his second half of his career with the Chicago Cubs, where he was a stud on that 2016 championship team, was the pretty much the ace of that rotation. Um, give me your thoughts on John Lester. Uh, give me kind of your thoughts on his career, uh, and also kind of where you see him possibly in five years on the Hall of Fame ballot. Because I guarantee he will, of course, be on the ballot. Oh yeah. But where does he end up? You know, in that in that longevity. Yeah. So uh, starting off with his career as a whole. The first real memory I have and like kind of the lasting memory I have uh, of him in my mind was his contributions on the 2007 uh, Red Sox team that ended up winning the World Series. I thought you were going to say uh, Torrey Hunter, three-run homer in the ALDS. That too. was pretty big for us, Travis, as Angels fans. But uh, back in 07 in the World Series against uh, Colorado, he did get one start and got the win. Uh, just five uh, and two-thirds innings. But Travis, it was... Uh, only a three hits allowed, three walks, uh, and got three Ks. Allowed no runs. So uh, a really great outing uh, for him in the World Series. And I remember seeing that performance and thinking, you know, this guy's a big game pitcher. He's really good. Um, kind of went on to have, like you said, lots of postseason moments. Um, Travis, in 2008, actually, against our Angels, uh, he had another, actually, two starts, uh, both allowing no earned runs. Uh allowed 10 hits in 14 innings against the Angels in 08 in the ALDS. But, uh, yeah, I think overall when I think of John Lester, I think of a guy who kind of was always around and always doing well. Um, in terms of Hall of Fame, I think that it really comes down to your personal standards of what a Hall of Famer is. Um, the big game pitching and the postseason success does help, of course, but I think 44.2 career war, base reference war, I think that that is just a bit light for starting pitching. I think that overall, you could argue that his value is just as good as many other great careers for guys that are in the Hall of Fame because, you know, he was able to get a good, he got 2,700 uh, innings in his career. So that's obviously a huge number, 200 wins. So he had a workhorse aspect to him and also kept the runs uh, pretty low. But I think overall, not quite enough uh, career accumulation and not quite enough of high peaks for me to be a Hall of Fame kind of guy. He, he peaked out at a Cy Young second place finish in 2016. He got fourth place in Cy Young Award two other times. 
once in 2014 and once in 2010. Um, I think if the peaks were a bit higher, like if he got a couple Cy Youngs or at least just one, or if you know if he had a bit more uh, career accumulation, there would be a better case. But as of right now, I think he's just a very good player. Hall of very good. Uh, not going to be on my Cooperstown ballot, I don't think. But a really great career. If you're over 40 war, you're kind of like a low-key legend. You're going to have your diehard fans that think you yep. know, think the world of you. So he's definitely got his own spot in baseball history because of his last you know decade and a half he's been uh, in MLB. Yeah, and honestly, thinking about him, uh, very good comparisons to a guy like Mark Burley. And Mark Burley's on the ballot, of course, this year. A lot of guys actually, uh, you know, voicing their uh, opinions on social media. They actually give Mark Burley the nod for Hall of Fame, which we'll talk next week. But uh, I, I have a yeah. little bit of a different argument on that. But, you know, it's funny. I was looking at their numbers and uh, Burley only has 14, uh, 14 wins higher. He's at 214 wins. Well, Lester just capped off the 200 mark of wins. Both guys, though, ERA plus is at 117. So actually very good comparisons, of course. But Burley has a 15 uh war higher than he does than right. of course than Lester. So uh Burley of course did have some impressive numbers and impressive seasons. Uh but I just think with of course Lester, um he's a good pitcher and that's that, that's pretty much what I think of him always is a good pitcher. But I don't know if I ever thought of him as like this elite pitcher, a guy that can keep it together consistently elite for like five straight years. Always had a couple seasons where he kind of just fell off and had a four something ERA and it's kind of like uh well, maybe he'll get get it back next year. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of sucks when we talk about this because there's certain guys, of course, that are going to be, oh, hands down elite Hall of Famers like a Max Scherzer or a Clayton Kershaw. But then you look at a guy like John Lester and it's like he would be the complete outer circle of a Hall of Famer if you had to think of one. So right. But um, it is it makes those guys fun to talk about. At least. It does. It does. No, seriously. And he like you said, big game pitcher. 2016 came out of relief. I think he was even in game seven came out of relief. And then of course, hand the ball over to Chapman Chapman, of course, blew it. They tied it, but of course got the win uh, in extras to win and clinch and end the curse in Chicago. So he of course is going to be loved in Boston and Chicago for yes. the rest of his life. Probably never has to buy a beer in Chicago or Boston. J so just a fun question, Travis, I saw it on Twitter when he announced his retirement. I don't think he'll be a hall of famer, but if he did make the hall of fame, would you be leaning towards Boston or Chicago for the team that uh, will he'll represent in the Hall of Fame? That's a good question. Um, it, it's kind of a tough one. It is a tough one. I, I, I mean, I kind of want to lean more towards Boston. Um, yeah. Even though he had the 2016 year that was just so unbelievable. Yeah. Finished second, and of course, Cy Young, 19 wins that year, a 2.44 ERA, just an elite season. Um, but I just feel like with Boston, you know, having the no hitter with Boston. Um, getting them to two World Series and getting two rings with Boston. Um, and I think also was drafted, yes, was drafted by the Red Sox second round in 2002. So I think he kind of was a homegrown Red Sox uh, kind of guy. So I probably lean Boston, but yeah, that's a good question because he really had two good uh, primes with two different teams. Yeah, a fun a fun uh, stat I saw, Travis. He actually has a 3.64 ERA with Boston and a 3.64 same ERA Just saw that. <laughs> with the Chicago Cubs um That's and interesting. the same winning percentage wins to losses he wow he, he won very he cool. won 63.6% of his games with Boston and the same number 63.6% of his games with Chicago so really a very like you know identical performer through those two teams but the extra three years with Boston nine years versus six with Chicago I would also lean Boston personally the ERA plus is also better in Boston because you know the ERA is the same it was a bit more of a high run scoring environment so I would lean Boston but it is fun and he is very valuable to both fan bases so 
uh, good little tribute for him to get, get his flowers on his retirement. Definitely, definitely. Uh, another guy that retired, Melky Cabrera. <laughs> might, might get less flowers, but I'm sure he has some fans out there that are happy. To he had a couple seasons that were pretty pretty memorable, but then, of course, came out with steroids, and then it kind of was just a fluke because it was like, okay, that season must have just been really good because of that. So uh, he's been uh, out of baseball, I believe, since 2019. So Something like that, yeah. Um, I guess he's been retired in our, our heads for two years now, but yeah. yeah. Finally, officially came out to want to add his name in there as well. But uh, moving on to the next thing, Alex, uh, this, of course, was a uh, thing we saw on social media this week, and you shared it with me. Um, but it was basically MLB radio uh, pretty much started the 2022 season early, and they wanted to make their top 10 players going into next season. And I love when it says voted by our analysts. But I just want to say, who? who who are these analysts? Because I... I just think it's honestly just a popularity contest, but at the same time, it's really not because the way these orders go, it just, it, I don't really know when, when they're making these lists, what, what they're really thinking about. So I'll basically read off the top 10. And then of course we'll discuss after. So, um, so starting off the list, number one, we have Shohei Otani for 2022, uh, coming in at second, we have Juan Soto following him is Fernando Tatis Jr. Coming in fourth, Mike Trout. Fifth, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Sixth, Ronald Acuna Jr. Seventh, Bryce Harper. Eighth, Jacob deGrom. Ninth, Trey Turner. And tenth, Jose Ramirez. Give me what your take is on that list, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to reveal like what my top ten is because I think I want to do something like that with you. Uh, like spring training time when we're kind of getting gearing up for the season. I'm sure we'll do some segment where we break down our top tens, like uh, positions and stuff like that. But uh, Travis, I think my biggest takeaway is they're clearly really penalizing Trout for missing the season, um, being fourth place below guys like Soto, Tatis, and of course Otani. I think that I really like Soto second and Tatis third. I just think Angels, the two. Uh, the two big guys in our on our team should be swapped yeah. in my mind. Yeah. I think Trout uh should be considered as, you know, the best player in baseball going into 2022. He should be considered, you know, the the, the favorite for MVP kind of thing. Um when it comes to Mike Trout, Travis, it really comes down to he has earned the benefit of the doubt and I don't think you can say he's not number one until you see him on the field and he is no longer number one. Like we'll see it one day, Travis, and we'll know, right? We'll see Definitely. we'll see Soto having a much better bat. We'll see Otani having the same bat with better pit with pitching, obviously. We'll see something happen um where someone else is just competing and edging him out for a full season. I think I not until that point will I say Trout's not the best player because um there are some projections, right, Travis? Like, there's like steamer on fan graphs. There's different like uh, systems people have, and they use it to say, okay, how good will someone be next season? Uh, Base reference has their own projections, but for me, regardless of what those might say, I'm not gonna say that Trout's gonna fall off because of some, you know, because he's age 30 now or whatever, whatever it's gonna be. I need to see it uh, happen just because I think, I think it's disrespectful because he's earned the benefit of the doubt. That's the way I kind of see it. Um, another switch I'd make, Travis, is I think. I would project Acuna higher than Guerrero Jr. I just think Guerrero Jr., if the bat slips a bit, his value drops a lot. Mm-hmm. But Acuna, if his if his bat slips a bit, he's still going to be a guy who steals up to 30 bases or more, plays good defense at a more viable position, uh, being right field or center field for the Braves. 
uh, with good speed out there is going to be more viable than Guerrero playing uh, average at best first base. So I do like Acuna over Guerrero Jr. I think I might have to come a bit higher too, but I understand having him outside the top five just because uh, the the injury risk, I guess. And if he's injured, he misses half the season. His value just kind of totally plummets um, and it keeps happening, uh, unfortunately for him. So I think Travis overall, I like the guys that are on this top 10. Uh, I like the names. I like having Harper in there in the mix. I like having uh, DeGrom in the mix. Um, I like how Soto and Tatis are top three, but I think Trout has earned the number one spot. And I think Otani um, is probably the hardest player to rank in all of baseball just yep. because we all know he was the best player of 2021, provided an unreal two-way value that no one was really, I guess, I guess we kind of saw it coming from spring training, but it was a shock to us all, uh, truthfully, to see him do it at that level. Um, will he do it again is the big question. And if he does, he might be over Trout, right? He might yeah. be over Trout, mm-hmm. over Soto, over Tatis. Um, it, we'll have to see him do it again, right? And But the thing is, even if he pitches at an, at an average level but keeps being the best DH in baseball, then he is top four, top three, something yep. like that in mm-hmm. baseball. So maybe even the best. We'll have to see what he can do. Um, but yeah, I think someone like Trout, who's done it uh, for a decade, um, and, I, and I, I don't really care that much about rating someone like, oh, this guy's been good for, he was good in 2012 and 2013, 2014. Therefore, I have to rate him highly now. I really care about like the most recent stuff. But even before Trout got injured in 2021, he was an MVP favorite, a front runner, even yeah. ahead of Otani at the time. So for that reason, I'm still going to ride or die Trout as the best player in baseball. He's my number one going into 2022, uh, I'm sure. So Travis, give me your thoughts about you know a Shohei versus Trout kind of thing. Where do they fit in with uh, Tatis and Soto in your mind? Yeah, completely uh, agree with what you said. Um, Trout is better than Otani at the moment, of course, and so far for their careers. I mean, even going back, you look at 2020 Otani, it's not a pretty ball player. I mean, I think he only had, what was it, maybe six innings pitched. I know he had, I think, two starts, didn't even get out of the third inning in both starts. It was a few innings pitched, and it was below a 200 average, I think. So, you know, Otani there, he had a, like we always say, the season of 2021 is historic. It is one of the best of all time. But I think that just having one insane elite season can't, over put you someone who's been doing it for 10 years like Mike Trout so I have Mike Trout of course he has to be number one Soto Tatis I have no problem there I think honestly though Acuna probably should be in the top five possibly even number four Acuna for what he was able to do before the injury this season he was on track for the MVP he was doing things that you know look like almost like young Willie Mays out there playing uh center field so or even right field as well but um, yeah, I, I think Otani has to, of course, be ahead of Guerrero Jr. Just because, of course, they both had their breakouts this season, pretty much. So um, Otani, for me, of course, uh, would have to be back uh, into the four five slot for me. Uh, and then, you know, honestly, looking at this list, it's kind of funny how we just have totally forgotten about Mookie Betts. Um, yep. You know, I think if we made our list now, mine would probably have him in my top ten still because uh, this year, of course, was not the best year that he's had in his career. But he's still, in my opinion, one of the best players in the game. If you had to make a draft, he'd be a guy that I think everybody would want in right field. Especially in a series, yeah. He's going exactly. to tons of value with the defense, the arm. The base running. Uh, base running, the situational hitting as well, of course. So I think that, you know, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting list. I think that, of course, they want to really bring the hype from 2021 and bring it into 2022. But I know we and you, when we look at our, uh, when we analyze these players, analyze these lists, 
Um, I for sure at least want to include past seasons before 2021 because I don't want some one hit wonder. I want a guy that's been consistent, I think, for the last two to three seasons. That way it's not really any any sort of outlier kind of season. So, um, of course, with Otani, he had an outlier of a season when it comes to almost eliteness because we've never seen something like that. So, of course, you can probably uh, pass him over some of the other guys that have had two or three good seasons with what he brought in 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, these lists are always fun to make and I, I, it's kind of funny. They just started making them now. Um, I think I I would think they'd be more focused on like, you know, talking about how we can get out of this lockout, but, um, these lists will be fun to make. I think when it comes to February, March, hopefully when this lockout ends, I can't wait to make some of our top 10 top, maybe top 25, top 50 or something like that. Um, every year MLB always comes out with their top 100 and, you know, it's, it's kind of an impossible list because you might look at a guy and say, oh my God, where, you know, where's this guy or where's that guy? But, you know, ranking relievers with position players, I mean, yeah, it's I, like, I don't do, even know how you like, even start to rank that. Yeah, 100%. It's like Ozzy Albee or Josh Hader. It's like, well, one guy plays <laughs> one guy plays every game, one guy comes in and is clutch. It, 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 it's it's impossible task sometimes. But yeah, uh, I like what you said about, you know, the top 10. I'm excited as well to do our own at some point. Um, after this whole Hall of Fame stuff and, you know, post-lockout or maybe towards the end of the lockout, we'll you know, start working on our own list of ranking players and fun discussions uh, coming up with that. But I'm glad that we can kind of touch on it for now because MLB, MLB.com is already, or MLB Radio rather, uh, already started yep. their list and it's already making some fun debates. So yep. that, that's great for the pod. Yep, definitely, definitely. That kind of wraps up all that stuff. Um, now, of course, we can kind of get into the main segment of the episode. And that, of course, is talking about Hall of Fame snubs. Um for me, Alex, I pretty much broke down a list of about 15 guys I think that really deserve a, a second chance. I think some guys are it, – it's almost criminal that these guys did not get in. I think you would agree. Uh, I think we'll have a lot of similarities when we talk about some of these players. But um, I'll let you kick it off. Um, give me kind of I, how you made your criteria, kind of how you judged them, how would you make your list. And, of course, I'll bring out my comparisons. When I know we're going to have a lot of comparisons with these players. Yeah, yeah. So we both have a kind of a set – of players we want to discuss uh, that we think are Hall of Fame candidates. Some of them maybe we just think are like they should be in. Some we think should be like locks, you know. But uh, regardless, Travis, these are going to be guys who we think were snubbed, uh, were not given enough respect when they were on the Hall of Fame ballot. And some guys may be even snubbed by the Veterans Committee if they're on that phase of their Hall of Fame trajectory. So, uh, Travis, I organized by position. Um, I have a few guys per position, and then you have you know a list of 15. So I'll, I'll start off. With um, I'll just start off with my catchers. I guess we'll okay. start there. Um, I wrote down two names of guys that I really think should be Hall of Famers, and they're not. Um, so these guys I wrote down are Gene Tennis and Thurman Munson. Uh, I'll just talk about these guys really briefly. Introduce them. Uh, these guys are second and third on the uh, catchers list uh, on Base Reference for uh, career Jaws. So Jaws is just like a combination of a catcher of someone's career WAR and their WAR seven, which just kind of says how good your prime was, your best seven war seasons. So uh, Thurman Munson, Travis, 46.1 career war, a 5.2 war per 162 games in his career. So on average, in in, in, a, in a full season, he's putting up over five war, which that's the kind of guy who gets MVP votes, uh, somewhere in the middle of the MVP ballot probably. Uh, overall, the big knock on him, Travis, was unfortunately only played from 1969 to 1979, I believe, I believe that's 11-year career. I believe he did pass away during his playing career, 
which is, of course, a tragedy. And if he played 20 seasons, I'm sure he'd probably be a Hall of Famer right now. Yeah. Because he's already, he already is, what, like top 15 or so in catcher of war all time. And he played half a career almost, or maybe two-thirds of a career. Um, so, Travis, he definitely would have made it if he did not tragically die while playing, while being a player. Because of that, I almost give him more props. Like, honestly, yeah. because you passed away as an active player, you're leaving him out because of that. I think you should put him in because of that, because yeah. he had a lot more to prove. Um, and he was, you know, on the Yankees, of course, you know, was a champion in that regard, um, a great batter and a great backstop. So I think Munson's someone who I really would give a lot of Hall of Fame credence to, and for some reason has not been voted in yet on even a veterans committee. The, the second guy I mentioned, Travis, Gene Tennis, um, about the same career war as Munson, 46.8. Uh, very comparable war numbers across the board. Um, something I really like about him is he was a really good on-base guy. 388 career on-base for a catcher. That's more than like Mike Piazza. That, that That's a really great number. It's actually tied with Maurer's number. So w- one of the best on-base catchers um, really ever. Like he's just really high up there. And I think that kind of skill set was not that valued back when he played. Um, back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So... I think he's another sneaky pick that I think deserves more credit. Um, does not, you know, not not in the Hall of Fame. 46.8 career war for me as a catcher uh, in 15 years. I think that's, you know, just about, it's kind of borderline for Hall of Fame, but I think how good his on-base was. Um, and I think catcher's kind of a light position in the Hall of Fame. Only 16 Hall of Fame catchers total, which yeah. is kind of, a small, <laughs> kind of a small number. So I think, you know... Guys like Posey are going to get in pretty soon, I think. Uh, uh, there's a handful of catchers who are kind of due. I think Tennis and Munson are guys who are due uh, for Veterans Committee at some yep. point. Yep. Um, two guys definitely. Uh, you know, Tennis is actually a guy I really have not even done any research on. And that's right, actually a guy right. that you, you, you helped me. You educated me a little bit on that one. But, of course, Thurman Munson, um, 11 seasons and the war. I love to look at the war and the, and the amount of seasons. Like you said, if he played 15 to 18 seasons, we'd be looking at a 70 war possible, you know, kind of guy. And, He'd be and, up with, like, the top five catchers yep, ever. Yep. And so he's a guy that definitely I think is a snub just, of course, for – voters probably saying you know oh 11 years i'm not going to include that at all in my criteria because you know that that's just not a long time but of course when you die <laughs> when, when there's active. a death of course that's a big excuse but uh for me alex i actually had uh a guy that's already in the hall of fame but as a manager i had joe tory okay. on my uh kind of snubs 57.5 war in his career uh played 18 full seasons actually we shouldn't say 18 full seasons but uh 15 full seasons 18 of course altogether had a couple seasons when he started out and then ended did not play a full season of course but um you know looking at some of the numbers that he put up uh one of the things that actually stood out to me was ops plus a 129 ops plus and i'm looking at other uh big hitters or you know hall of fame guys better ops plus than sammy sosa and johnny bench Mm, um and that's pretty insane if i if i look at at least comparing him to other catchers johnny bench as we both said a couple weeks ago best catcher of all time uh one of the best hitting catchers of all time as well joe torrey as well is one of the best hitting catchers of all time um even going back to his 1971 season i know he played majority of that season at third base put up an mvp year a 363 batting average that season but Almost had a 300 batting average in his career, a 297, uh, and then of course an 817 OPS. But the 129 OPS plus definitely jumps out to me um, as a guy that honestly, I mean, really had a great bat in the 60s and part of the 70s as well. 
uh, he's kind of my snub. And of course, the war, almost a 60 war. I think when you start getting above a 50 war, that's when you kind of got to take a step back and say, okay, now I got to really make a hard comparison and hard analysis on some of these guys. But as a catcher, I think that's really impressive. Is he, if he's an outfielder, if he's a center fielder, I might, of course, say, okay, maybe he, um, maybe there's a lot of guys that, of course, already surpass him when it comes to these kind of numbers. But uh, Joe Torrey, for me, is a guy that actually had, a, I mean, a fantastic career. Yeah, I, I like the pick a lot, Travis. Uh, I he's a, so he, I love looking at his baseball reference page because he had almost like chapters to his career. He was like a catcher with some third base secondary in him uh, when he was a Brave. And then, of course, becomes a Cardinal, plays a lot of uh, third base and more first base towards the end of his career as well when he became a Met towards the very end. He is someone, Travis, he started at age 19, which is so young, and he stopped at age 36, you know, had 18 years in him, so tons of wear and tear, playing half that, being a catcher, so makes sense. But, yeah, he's the kind of guy, Travis, if he just kind of played two more seasons of, like, you know, average play, I feel like they would have definitely voted for him. But they just, yeah. they just saw, oh, he finished at age 36. He kind of limped to the finish line, had, like, a bad, uh, you know, 30, age 36 season because he's probably, you know, just getting up there in age. But overall, Travis, I think his prime was definitely good enough to be Hall of Fame caliber. Has uh, multiple seasons over... A 150 OPS plus, uh, topping out a 171 in that MVP year. So obviously a really good hitter and the positional kind of uh, versatility he brought to the table, plus being a catcher for half your career. He has catching seasons with a 156 OPS plus, a 141 OPS plus. That is really some of the best seasons you'll see for offense for a catcher. Um, Yeah, I I, I like that pick a lot. I, 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 I didn't put him down, but I think he's definitely a, Fits up with all the guys I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll keep moving on, Travis. Another guy I wrote down, Travis, is first baseman. I wrote down two first basemen, Fred McGriff and Keith Hernandez. I'll talk about them both real briefly. Um, Fred McGriff, Travis, is someone who uh, I pulled up a kind of a fancy stat. What I did was I made a list of all the players who have the same number or more home runs and the same number or more hits and a better OPS plus than him. So... Looking at those three stats, his career home runs is 493. He was just seven home runs away from being in the 500 club. <laughs> Which would have probably locked him in. Locked him in. <laughs> 2,490 2, 2, hits. Just 10 hits away from being a 2,500 hit kind of guy. And a 134 OPS plus. There are only, he is one of 17 players to have those milestones. That number of home runs and that number of hits and that OPS plus or higher. Everyone else that has done these numbers either did steroids or is in the Hall of Fame. Mm. It's Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mel Ott, Frank Robinson, Manny Ramirez on the ballot. Uh, steroid allegations, of course. Miguel Cabrera, uh, still an active player. Hall of Famer. Will be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Albert Pujols, active, will be a Hall of Famer. A-Rod on the ballot, steroids. Gary Sheffield on the ballot, steroids. Reggie Jackson, Hall of Famer, Griffey Jr., Hall of Famer, and then Fred McGriff. That is such elite company. Some of yeah. the 17, probably 17 of the best hitters you ever see yeah. in terms of, you know, to- totality of your career. You had these big career milestones, also a good OPS plus, so you know that he was being consistently very good. Travis, I think McGriff is a snub. The war numbers are nothing too, too crazy, um, but still, a 52.6 career war for a first baseman, I like him. I think he should be a Hall of Famer. I don't think his like his career numbers scream Hall of Famer, but I think um, in the end of the day he would be on my ballot if I was you know picking things. Uh, also, want to mention Keith Hernandez, Travis. I think Keith Hernandez for me, I might have a tad below Fred McGriff on my kind of hierarchy, but I think he is someone who has slept on for how 
much more viable as defense was. I think his offensive output was um, not on the level of McGriff, but the defense almost makes up for it. Um, Mets fans just rave about how important he was to some of their really good Mets teams. Also was a Cardinal. Also, I believe he uh, I believe he shared an MVP award, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, I think, I think uh, Keith Hernandez is someone who does not get the love that he probably deserves. So um, he's also on my... Uh, my ballot if I had to uh, pick when those guys were on the ballot. So any thoughts on those guys, Travis? They're on my list too. So oh, they, really? they cracked my top 15, both guys. Um, yeah, like you said, Fred McGriff, 52.6 war. More home runs, Alex, than Stan Musial and Willie Stargell uh, and is tied with Lou Gehrig in mm-hmm. home runs. That right there, though, I mean, I mean, you look at Gehrig and Musial, the two, some of the two, the two, one of the two best left-handed hitters of, you know, all time. So McGriff is up there with the power. And then of course, with uh, Keith Hernandez, a 60.3 war, when you get up to 60 war, you're getting into some serious hall of fame territory. So, uh, and also having a better war than Hank Greenberg and Willie Stargell. That is for Keith Hernandez, uh, bringing the glove and also bringing the bat. Um, A couple of the guys I also included on my list uh, for my top 15, uh, one is actually Don Mattingly. Um, Don Mattingly has a 42.4 war, not the best war that you probably want to see um, when it comes to, you know, evaluating war and a Hall of Famer. But one interesting stat, Alex, that I found out, uh, Don Mattingly is the only infielder in Major League Baseball history to win nine or more gold gloves and have a career batting average above 300. Wow. So it, I, 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 I was I was kind of doing some digging on this one, but I basically looked at the gold gloves because you look at his page. It just screams GG. <laughs> it, screams, sure. it screams gold gloves. So he definitely flashed the leather, was a great defender. And then, of course, had a 307 career batting average. You know, in my opinion, I, 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 have, a, I have a lot of respect, of course, for batting average. And I think that, you know. Batting 300 in your career, that that's really honestly... Uh, I mean, it's an elite club. It's an elite club. It really is. I mean, there's really some goats of the of, of baseball that do not have a 300 average, and that's okay. That's fine. But when you have a 307 average in your career, I mean, you're, you are a elite Hall of Fame hitter, in my opinion. So um, he's one guy, of course, that should I, I think should have just definitely got a lot more consideration. It was kind of a different first baseman, I would say, from other big power-hitting first basemen. I think he was one of the only guys that really cared about the defense uh, in his time. And so uh, I had him on my list. And then also, you probably might bring up this guy later. I know we've talked so much about him alec but it's it's dick allen mm-hmm. um first base third base and left field in his career a 58.7 war um alex one big number that screams with dick allen it's the ops plus numbers uh he has a better ops plus in his career than hank aaron willie mays and joe dimaggio three just iconic outfielders and also some of those guys also play a little bit of first base too so um I look at his numbers too, and I know I know I really didn't know too much about him until probably a year ago when a lot of people on social media and you were telling me, look at this guy's stats. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and he's yeah. not in the Hall of Fame. So um he is a guy that I mean, you just have to think that a veterans committee would look at this guy and just you really can't find a flaw in his game when it came to especially his hitting. I mean, he was up there hitting with some of the greats of, of the same era and time, but um, those are my main first basemen that I wanted to talk about. You, of course, cover the other two greatly, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, just a, a lot of good first basemen that are, of course, left out. I think because when it comes to comparisons with other first basemen in their era, they probably didn't match the ult, ult, ultimate supreme power that some of these other guys brought. But you know what? Um, you really 
can't leave some of these guys behind because a lot of them can flash the leather and i really respect that so um good all-around baseball players yeah uh I'll quickly touch on the two guys you mentioned that I didn't. Um, Dick Allen, Travis, I did, of course, have him down on my list. I had him as the third baseman because he played first and third in some outfield. So, um, yeah, I completely understand why he's on your first baseman list. He was one of the best right-handed hitters of all time, truthfully. If you look at the numbers uh, just up there, OPS plus-wise, above, like you said, Mays and Aaron. I think he's only below a handful of guys like Fox, Trout, uh, maybe Frank Thomas, but... Uh, maybe a couple others, but yeah, one of the truly best right hand hitters ever. Uh, also, uh, want to touch, of course, on Don, on uh, Mattingly. Uh, I did not think about putting him really, and looking at his numbers mm-hmm. right now, I think it is a great choice. He had uh, three straight years over a 150 OPS plus um, when he was age 23 through 25, got a fifth place in MVP, then he won the MVP, and then he got MVP second place. So. Those, that three-year stretch really shows some elite dominance. In all three of those years, he led not only the AL, but all of MLB in doubles in those three straight years. And in two of those three years, he led the American League in hits. Uh, one year, he led the MLB in average. So, And then one year, he led in OPS. So he really was doing a lot of different things, uh, being a great hitter in a lot of different ways for the Yankees in the 80s. Um, he definitely is someone who I would give a vote for personally. Only played 14 years, which might seem a little light to some voters. And that could be a reason why he might be kept off some ballots. Um, And, you know, I think if he plays a couple years earlier or a couple years later, a little bit older, he gets up to around, you know, almost, you know, 50 career war. And then he probably might have a better chance of getting in. But they see that 42. I mean, the, I mean, the voters aren't looking at war, but 42 seems a little bit low. Um, I really don't care because of how good the peak was. And I just like some of the seasons I'm seeing from him. So, yep. uh Overall, uh, I think that's a great pick as well. Um, I'm going to keep moving on to second base, Travis. Someone else we've talked about uh, multiple times in terms of being a snub. That's going to be Bobby Gritch. Mm-hmm. Uh, was an angel, was an Oriole. Overall, over 70 career war. I don't. I think when you hit that number, I think you should just be in. I think <laughs> if there's no steroids and there's no cheating and there's no nothing else, I think if you're at over 70 career war, especially for a second baseman, which is not the deepest position, for Hall of Fame stuff, I think he should just be in. I, I don't really have any reservations at all. I think maybe a couple years ago, Travis, maybe a year ago, I might not have been as sold as I am right now. But I think as of right now, he's eighth in Jaws for second baseman. He Besides Robinson Cano, who is active and who also has steroid allegations, you look at the war leaderboard for second baseman, and it's just Hoff, 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 Bobby Gritch. Hoff, 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 Hoff. <laughs> he's like in this pool of Hall of Famers, yeah. and they didn't put him in. Um, he's pretty much up there with all the greats that did get in. He, he's like almost like a Ryan Sandberg, but um, some even some better war numbers than Sandberg. But um, guys got in and Gritch didn't. I think that's a crime. I think he should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, another guy, Travis, that I also wrote down is uh, Lou Whitaker, someone who, you know, 75.1 career base reference war. That number for me is just too high not to be a Hall of Famer. 5.1 war per 162. He was literally putting up you know, great season after great season. Uh, the OPS plus is 117, so it's not like a crazy high number, but for a second baseman, I'd say it's very good and played good defense. I think overall, he's a Hall of Famer as well. Any additional thoughts on those guys? We have same two guys. Uh, you had yep, two? Two yeah. guys on my 15, um, Gritch and Whitaker. Like you said, both guys, of course, 71 or higher war. Um, I have Gritch down, uh, you know, looking at his stats, better war than Alan Trammell and Barry Larkin. Two yeah, yeah. good middle infielders. 
that had lower wars than Gritch. Gritch, of course, is not going to be the big, I would say, like sexy name because he did not win a lot of accolades. I think a lot of other great players were playing in his time. And, and just, two, of course, a 266 batting average yeah. probably gets some voters a bit down on him. But he was a big walker, hit for extra bases as well and played great defense. A really kind of unique player for the time. Espe yeah, you're right. Especially in the time that he played in, guys were caring about, I think, on the, honestly, batting average, RBIs, home runs. Gritch still met the, I think, criteria when it came to home runs. Led the AL in 1981 in home runs that year as a second baseman. So that's I think that's crazy. still pretty impressive. But Gritch is definitely on that list. And then, of course, Lou Whitaker. I just wrote down on my thing, 75-plus war. I mean, when you have a 75-plus yeah. war... The argument is there. Uh, the just, arg the argument there. is so there. I mean, there there are so many greats if you're looking at middle infield. If you're looking at just infielders, outfielders, pitchers in the Hall of Fame, honestly, there might be 30 to 40% of the Hall of Fame has a lower war than that. I, it'd be interesting to look at what, what, right. the, what the overall consensus of the Hall of Fame, how many guys, what is the war. Lou Whitaker is definitely in a pool of Hall of Famers, but of course he is not uh, on or in Cooperstown right now. So uh, two guys that I think definitely need to have some strong consideration. It's kind of funny how we are, are going to be probably looking forward to more more Veterans Committee ballots than uh, the actual ballots coming in the future because there are some great players that have just been kind of brushed underneath the rug. And, you know, you really don't know why. I, th I think it's just the, the voters back then had different uh, criteria, different perspectives on some of these guys. So um, – Hopefully some change can be made in, in the next couple of years and some of these guys can, you know, definitely, uh, you know, make their case for Cooperstown. A guy like Ted Simmons, Tim, Ted, Ted Simmons got in a couple uh, years ago and he was a great guy to put in because, you know, top uh, could be honest. I mean, top 10 catcher could be even a top the, five, you the, know, the, the, there's cases there. For yeah. Those, and those so, titles. Uh, you know. Like I said, veterans committees, I feel like they're definitely growing on a lot of people now because there are some greats in the 80s and the 70s that have been just kind of ignored. So hopefully some of these guys get back in. But uh, I'm glad we had the same two for second base. Um, both guys, like you said, 70 wars or higher. I mean, you really can't leave these kind of guys off. Yeah, and I love what you said about saying they're probably better war than like X percentage of like uh, other Hall of Famers. And I completely agree because it really like – it shouldn't matter that much because we know that they're great players. Um, but when I I just scroll down the, the the leaderboard for WAR for second baseman, and I get down to see like, oh, uh, who is this? Uh, Nelly Fox, fifty WAR, yeah, great player, probably should be a Hall of Famer. But it's low, much lower than Gritch. It's much lower than Whitaker. Those guys are probably deserve it just as much more than Nelly Fox. Uh, Jeff Kent, Travis on the ballot right now gets tons of praise, rightfully so. Will probably, I, my guess is probably will be a Hall of Famer before it's all said and done. He's at 55 career war, still 15 shy of the guys we're talking about. So, um, and you can keep scrolling down, Travis. Bill Mazarowski, uh, leg most legendary home run of all time, Hall of Famer, but only a 36 career war, like yeah, half, yeah, half of what Bobby Grace did in his career. So, uh, with all that in mind, Travis, I like our cases for those second basemen. We can keep moving on to third baseman now, Travis. I had Dick Allen written down. We already kind of covered yep. him. I'm going to mention now there's kind of a handful of guys. I'm going to rattle off some names and I'm not going to go a deep dive in all of them because I think third base is kind of a light position in the Hall of Fame. I think they need to continue to add more guys than they have been. I'm glad that Roland is looking like he's projecting well because he's, you know, I think he really deserves it. But there's a big handful of guys who have not gotten the love and that's going to be, I wrote down uh, Ken Boyer, Buddy Bell, Sal Bondo, and one of my fan favorites uh, is David Wright. All these guys are hovering around between 50 
to 65 career war. Um, David Wright actually has five war per 162. So really was, uh, you know, an MVP vote getter kind of caliber player, you know, through and through his career. Other guys I mentioned like Sal Bondo, uh, Buddy Bell, over 60 career war, uh, around four and a half to five war per 162. Um, overall, Travis, I just like these guys' numbers a lot. Uh, some of them played great defense. Some of them were great bats. I just think that third base is really light in the Hall of Fame. I think that they need to add more guys. A guy like Longoria, Travis, I think he will have a case when it's his time on the ballot. He's almost at 60 career war. He could get there in his career, but he's still below Sal Bondo, Buddy Bell, Ken Boyer, the guys that I mentioned. So um, I think that the Hall of Fame is light uh, in this position. I think, you know, pretty soon it won't be that light because I think pretty soon in, you know, two decades we're going to see Arenado, we're going to see possibly Machado, Donaldson. If he has a great second, you know, second chapter of his career, he could get in as well. Mm -hmm. But um, there's just lots of guys who are, you know, well below who I'm talking about, and they are in the Hall of Fame. Pie Trainer, 38 career war, he's in. But you know, Salbando is like, you know, 150, 150 uh, percent of the of you know that Pie Trainer's war, and he's not getting the love. So. Whenever I check these guys, also Travis, like I think Ken Boyer, I think he never got like over twenty five percent of the vote when he, when he's on the ballot. So like, mm-hmm. pretty much snubbed, like yeah. like disrespected, I would say. So, um, any thoughts on these guys I mentioned? I kind of threw a lot of names out, but yeah, um, the the big name, of course, uh, and he's on the ballot, and we'll talk about him is going to be, of course, Scott Rowland. Um, yes, Scott Rowland, of course, taking a deeper dive into his numbers. Not only a great hitter, but of course, the defense. Honestly, kind of the Arenado, but we really, I you really just didn't consider him that kind of that great third base glove uh watching him i think when we first started watching the game of course he was playing on the cardinals on those great uh st louis teams back in the early 2000s but i think his prime was like a tick before we really got into watching everyday baseball yep yep exactly i know he started out of course with philly and then and then of course had a lot of his postseason success with the cardinals um but yeah scott Rowland, of course is a guy that um i can't wait to talk about next week um, yes. He, of course, is a uh, I shouldn't say a snub not yet, because I think that, of course, he's trending in a very good direction right now. A lot of analysts um, always talk about him as being a guy that really needs to be focused uh, on one of these ballots. But uh, he's a guy that definitely looking at his number 70 over 70 war. That, mm-hmm. of course, says it all right there, um, of course, with the defense to uh, very, very special. Um, that kind of wraps up third base for me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well done. Um, yeah. Third base, a lot of guys over 60 war that aren't in. I would probably change that a bit, but uh, I think more guys will be coming in pretty shortly. So And, and, and really honestly, because, I mean, next week when we start talking about Alex Rodriguez. Um, that's a whole new can of worms. That I mean, that's going to be one where you are. are it's, it's just a shame for some of these guys when it comes to the steroids that, you know, you, you look at a guy like him and you're just you, you really want to put him in or, you, you know, you, it's just going to be a good topic to talk about. But um, he is a. If you just ignore the steroids, he is a top third baseman, left you know, left side of the infield kind of guy, um, and you he would fit every every criteria, of course, for a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, so you know. Yeah, Charles. One more thing I wanted to add that I actually wrote down a little stat for these third basemen. Um, looking at their kind of numbers, uh, I compared them to this season, Rafael Devers, because Rafael Devers okay. got eleventh in MVP voting. Played 156 games. So not every game, but was pretty much an everyday player. Yep. Um, he had a 132 OPS plus. He generated 3.5 B war. So I'm talking about a 3.5 war player for pretty much the whole season. 
11th in MVP voting, right? So he's putting out 3.5 war in the season. Ken Boyer, Buddy Bell, Sal Bondo, those guys I mentioned, and, yep. and uh, David Wright, all are over 4.5 war per 162 in their career. So on their whole career, mm-hmm. average to being one season, they're about a 4.5 to 5 war player. Devers this season was a great player. Yeah, 11th in MVP voting, right? He is a whole win and a half less than these guys. So it kind of puts into perspective. These guys on their average year were much better than what we just saw from Devers. So like that's kind of puts it into perspective for me. Like these guys should be getting top 10 MVP votes year in, year out, but they didn't. And therefore they're not, you know, in the hall of fame talks. Yeah. Um, they didn't get in the Cooperstown quite yet. So Th- those guys, I think like to play defense, whereas Devers, I think just <laughs> he, we're, we're looking more of his bat than we do at his defense. Cause uh, the defense, of course, if, if and th- that's one thing, of course, we talked about last episode, if he wants to make a strong push, I think for the hall of fame, that'll be an area he'll need to clean up. And he still has a lot of time. I mean, he's a very young player oh, of course. right now to clean up some defense, but, but um, that, that's the only way to kind of get that war uh, higher and higher as the years go on. Completely agree. Completely agree. I, yeah, just, I thought it was very interesting how that is, you know, he had yeah. a great year, 11th in MVP voting, but just a 3.5 war. Um, a lot of these guys are putting up better than that uh, year in, year out. So I'm going to keep moving on, Travis. Shortstop. I have a couple more names written down here. Um, one guy, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not super sold that he should be a Hall of Famer. I just think he deserves more credit, and that's mm-hmm. going to be Nomar Garcia Parra. Uh I think his war seven is, is just it's it's just really good. It's really high up there. Um for short stops in general. He's at a forty-three war seven. I think his big problem is he really fell off at a young age. I think he um kind of flamed out in his early thirties, like I think age thirty three, he was kind of just done. He's kind of cooked, um, which is unfortunate. But um his prime seasons, Travis, are some of the best you'll find offensively from a shortstop. And that is coming from someone who played in the steroid era. So yeah. it's even hurting your OPS plus really. But um, looking at his OPS plus numbers, Travis, I think on some of his best years, you're looking at one of the best offensive shortstops, you know, ever. And he's putting up 5.0 war per 162. I was like, that said a lot. It kind of tells you what they're doing on a, on a full season on average. Uh, I think that his numbers overall, the 44 war is not quite up to snuff with other Hall of Famers. But he's right in the mix with so many Hall of Famers in terms of the war, and his offense is going to be much better. I think he's a unique, a unique player in terms of how good his bat was for a shortstop, and how good, how much, how much value he provided in his prime for you know those Red Sox teams. So for me, I give him a lot of uh, consideration, Travis. And then one more name I'll throw out there is Jim Fergosi, someone else who, um, Angel, I'm a, Angel Legend. Angel Legend. I would not probably have really considered him that much a couple years ago. But I think his almost 50 career war really should be highly considered. I think, you know, he was uh, an underrated player, uh, a kind of a low batting average, uh, 265 in the career. And, you know, people aren't going to like that that much. But he really was an above average bat, 113 OPS plus for the career, which is above tons of other Hall of Fame shortstops. It's above uh, Alan Trammell. It's way above uh, Ozzie Smith. It's even above a guy like, you know, like a Luke Appling. So or a tie with Luke Appling. So. Other Hall of Fame guys, his bat is just on par with them. Um, didn't quite accumulate enough seasons of you know above average play to have the career war. But I like Fergosi's career. I like Garcia Parra's prime. Tell me what you think about those guys or you know shortstops. You yeah, think? I'm glad you really brought up Garcia Parra because uh, you kind of forget about him in those you know late 90s, early 2000s with Red Sox. I mean, 2000 and 1999 were historic seasons for him at the shortstop position. 
um, kind of crazy when you look at his career and just how the story of it, how, how it all went, you know, traded in 2004, the year the Red Sox won the World Series. Um, I'm, I'm sure Red Sox fans were thinking, what what the hell are we doing? You yeah. know, trading our star shortstop at the age of, you know, he's, he was only 30 years old. But of course, getting into his 30s, probably kind of exiting his prime. And as he did so. Red Sox must have had some sort of time machine. They, they, they knew, knew it was, was going to happen. Yeah. But um, no, you're right. The prime is so historic. The prime is up there with some of the greatest, uh, I would say even like steroid users of all time uh, when it comes to just putting together the batting average, the OPS, um, and then, of course, home runs and X-rays hits and doubles. For uh, a shortstop. It is pretty incredible. But like you said, um, it was it was a prime. It, it wasn't a consistent full right. career for Nomar. No um and that's, I think, what's really going to hurt him. And that's something that, like, a guy like, you know, you look at Andrew Jones coming up next week, that might be something that voters could look at and say, did you play the full season or the full career at a high, consistent level? Um, that's something that, of course, he had to drop off in his, uh, you know, in his 30s. So, uh, Nomar, of course, I love the guy. Uh, I, I would I would love to see, you know, his card in a video game. <laughs> uh, yeah. It would be a very fun card to play with. But, uh Definitely the prime is there, but of course, I think the consistency of the whole entire uh, career just, just of course, misses it. Um, he'll be out, but two very good names. Two very, very good names. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much all I got for shortstop, Travis. Uh, we can keep moving on the outfield. And there's so, so many there's, outfielders there's, be fun. in the Hall of Fame. So it's like a big pool and a lot of guys to compete with, but also as many guys who are not in the Hall of Fame that are outfielders. Um, Travis, I'll start off. I'm just going kind of organized by what baseball reference says their position is. No um, problem. So they kind of, they categorize Lance Berkman as a left fielder. So let's talk about Lance Berkman Ooh, first. I want to. Yep. I know he's someone that you consider highly. Um, 52 career war, uh, I think, is already a great number to start out with for a Hall of Famer. That's more war than other left fielders like Ralph Kiner, other Hall of Famers like Jim Rice. Other Hall of Famers like uh, Jim O'Rourke. Like, there's tons of guys who Lance Berkman's going to beat you out in war and jaws and stuff like that. So um, the value numbers were there. Had good positional versatility. Played some first base, all outfield spots. Played some center field too. Um, a 144 OPS plus on the career is a great number to be at, I think. It's a lot better than other Hall of Famers like Minnie Minoso, like even uh, – even like Zach, Zach Wheat, Joe Medwick. These are guys who um, are, you know, been Hall of Famers for decades. Minoso just, of course, this year was elected. But yeah, I think overall, there's a lot to like about Lance Berkman's uh, offense, what he brought to the table. Um, and he had some defensive versatility, so that helps too. Give me your thoughts on Berkman and uh, where he stacks up for you. Yeah, I mean, 406 on base. I, I think anytime you have a 400 or higher on base, that is that's a Hall of Famer for you right there. Kind of for me also with 300 batting average. Those are just key uh, landmark uh, milestones in my opinion. So 406 on base, a 943 OPS with a 144 OPS plus. Alex, the guy had a higher OPS than Mays, than Shoeless Joe Jackson, than Vladimir Guerrero, Hank Aaron, and Ken Griffey Jr. Wow. A higher OPS plus then Larry Walker, Duke Snyder, Reggie Jackson, a bunch of other names as well that are Hall of Famers and outfielders. So he, of course, is a guy that I always love to bring up when we talk about snubs. Um, he's probably the top, one of the top guys on my list. The war, of course, is not going to be... Um, honestly, the rest of the guys on my list have all pretty much almost higher wars. So Lance Berkman is at the bottom when it comes to the war. But when it just came to the pure hitting... Um, 
Lance Berkman's numbers are honestly up there with the greats and of course playing in that era. Um, it's kind of crazy if he was playing, of course, right now in today's game, we'd almost be looking at, I, I, I'm not going to say kind of a mini Juan Soto, but the amount of walks with, of course, the power and the batting average, it, it kind of reminds me of a Juan Soto also being a lefty bat. Um, he he would be probably a top, top 10, top 15 hitter right now in the game. I like that you mentioned, uh, you know, the on base. He, like you said, 406 in the career is a great number to be at. He is actually 11th. If you sort, if you sort, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I pulled up walks. This is a walks leaderboard. Um, so this is left fielders on base reference all time walks. He's eighth. He's wow. eighth. Oh, sorry, wow. ninth. A little confusion there. My part. Eighth top ten. The, he's so he's top ten all time left fielders for walks. So that's like a really unique stat. That, you know, it shows how good he was at discipline and the power. You know, over 300 homers, over 400 doubles, had the extra bases going as well. So. A lot to like about Lance Berkman. And, and a very big iconic hit in a 2011 World Series uh, yeah. to uh, he, keep that rally going. I think the Astros, we think of how good he was in his prime. But he had that second act with the Cardinals where he really was still able to be very good in the season and then also important in the postseason. So because of that, for me, that gives him the extra nudge to get in yeah. on my ballot too. So Definitely. I'm Definitely. glad we got to discuss him a bit, Travis. Um, I'll keep moving on to center field. Center field, Travis, is one of the hardest positions, I think, to talk about for Hall of Fame. There are 19 Hall of Famers in center field right now. Um, and it, it's it's very difficult because um, there's so many archetypes, right? There's guys who are great hitters and not great defenders. There's guys who are, you know, pretty good at both. There are, you know, guys who play great defense and are okay hitters. I'm going to talk about just some guys who I think uh, deserve to be in and are not. Uh the first pick for me is going to be Kenny Lofton. I think Kenny Lofton at 68.4 B-War in the career is, is you know, he's criminally underrated, I'd say. 5.3 war per 162. Um, that's better than Ken Griffey Jr. He gets more war per 162 games than Ken Griffey, than Duke Snyder, than uh, a bunch of other great names of guys who are Hall of Famers. Andre Dawson, way more war per 162. Richie Ashburn, more war per 162 for Kenny Lofton. Um, tenth in Jaws uh, among center fielders. And I also think that uh, something that doesn't get factored in it quite enough is how good he was at stealing bags, of course. Really known for stealing bags. Uh, and I feel like, I don't know, when you're an elite base stealer as well as an elite defender, his bat is above average and the war is great. I just don't really know what the knock was against him. I don't see where they could possibly say he doesn't deserve it. Um, any thoughts on Kenny Lofton, Travis? Yeah, he's on my list as well. Um, I, I had a very good time comparing him. It, it, my biggest comparison with Kenny Lofton is like a guy like Lou Brock. Lou Brock and him are very, very comparable. Lou Brock playing 19 years, Kenny Lofton playing 17 years. Um, the runs, the RBIs, and the home runs are all very, very comparable if you would have had Kenny Lofton playing two more seasons. Um, they all could almost be tied. But, you know, looking at the war, Lou Brock's in the 40s. Kenny Lofton's in the high 60s. Wow. Um, it just tells you what kind of player that he was and also stealing bags as well. Um, Kenny Lofton is a guy that I think definitely got punished for not being um, a little bit more of a power hitter. I think he was just a – basically he was good for the speed, the defense, and the contact getting – um, and, and pretty much just getting on base to get runs through for all of his teams. So I think a lot of guys did not like that, that he, was, he wasn't he was bringing all five tools 
to uh, the ballpark every single night. I think that's what really hurt him. But I think that's that's where we need to take a step back and say, well, listen, not all players are going to be the Mike Trouts or the Mickey Mantles. Kenny Lofton had his skill set and his craft and whatever he was good at. I mean, I mean, he was excellent at what he was able to do when it comes to stolen bases and batting average. I mean, 299 batting average, pretty much a 300 batter. And even the on base, like a great walker. So it's not like he's up there just, you know, free swinging, trying yeah. to get base hits. He really was a complete hitter, just minus the uh, the home run power. But the great speed helped him to get doubles and triples at a really great rate as well. Um, I think I think he honestly has maybe like a Fred McGriff um, problem when he doesn't really have an identity. You know, I the, feel like the jumping around the 10 years in Cleveland, of course, are is probably the big identity. Alex, he played with, let's see, looks like he played with, honestly, 10 other teams, and they all were for one year, right. every team. I mean, that that's actually pretty incredible right there. I mean, that'd be a good stat to look at right there. I mean, yeah, lots of one-year deals, I, I guess. <laughs> I guess some guys just don't like him that much. But, um, yeah, I mean, even having some good seasons, I mean, one year with Atlanta, 122 games with Atlanta, a 333 batting average, and he only spent one year there. Um, that's kind of incredible right there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Kenny Lofton is a guy that I, I think that he definitely should have been, uh, really, really looked at a lot harder. So, um, hopefully we can definitely get him in, you know, sometime in the future. But I mean, he is a guy that, I mean, what, what he was able to do was get on base, get through to scoring runs. Um, he, again, so iconic in those, in that, in those nineties Cleveland Indians team. So, um, he's one guy I'm, I'm glad we brought up and got to talk about. Yeah, and uh, another center fielder who we both think uh, was definitely snubbed is going to be uh, Jim Edmonds, Travis. Jim Edmonds, of course, he was an angel, had a great career being with the Cardinals as well. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's a one and dunner on the ballot, which is just yeah. it's just totally criminal. Him and him and Berkman, yeah, and Lofton, who yeah, we mentioned. Yeah, so it's and just, Lofton, yeah, Lofton. I'm looking at him right now, Travis. In 2013, Lofton got 3.2 percent of the vote and was then removed from the ballot, which is a criminal. Yeah, he have over 60 career where it makes no sense, but. Um, anyways, moving on to Edmonds, like I said, uh, Jim Edmonds, Travis 60 career war. Um, I think he was a great offensive hitter for center fielders. Not, not, you know, he's not making man on Mike Trout, but he's putting up really great offensive numbers overall. 132 OPS plus on the career. That's way above, uh, you know, handful of guys. It's almost, it's just a tick below Ken Griffey, honestly. Um, so Edmonds, I think had a great, uh, bat and of course was a legendary defender, um, the speed and outfit was not, you know, not going to be like exactly like Lofton or Trout or Mantle, but the glove and how good he was at making catches um, out there in center was pretty much made up for it. So I think he's someone who um, gets slept on in the in the center field Hall of Fame discussion overall. He's just a tick below like guys like Dawson and like Richie Ashburn and War. And he's more of a modern player, was in the steroid era, never linked to steroids. So because of that, I give him even more props for being Definitely. a good hitter in that era um, without, you know, abusing substances that his opponents were using. So I really like uh, Edmonds' case as well, Travis. Um, and then below Edmonds, there's like a handful of guys who are like over 50 career war that just got no love on the belt at all. Um, I'll just throw out some names like Jim Wynn. Uh, Willie Davis. Willie Davis has 60 career war, was a great defender, not a great hitter because of that. Like, got, you know, got no love on the ballot, essentially. Yep. Mm -hmm. Chet Lemon. Uh, there's just there's so many guys um, who have over 50 war, Travis, no love on the Hall of Fame ballot. And I scroll way down, and there's these guys with like 35 war, and they got voted in. And I, I just don't understand how <laughs> some of these guys just, I guess, I don't know. I, I guess the voters just saw things one way. Um, 
But yeah, any thoughts on Edmonds and anyone else in the center field spot? Yeah, Edmonds is another guy just like Berkman that I love to talk about with snubs. Um, you know, for me, being a pure center fielder um, and providing, you know, almost 400 home runs as a pure center fielder, I mean, you're probably in the top, honestly, two, two to 3% of center fielders of all time when it comes to being such a great defender and providing the power that he did. Um, I, I really am surprised that voters did not like him um, as much as we do because uh, the the awards are there. I mean, gold glove center fielder. When you win eight gold gloves, I mean, you are showing that you were probably uh, one of the best defenders of all time, or at least one of the best defenders in your uh, era, pretty much. But uh, eight gold gloves and three ninety three career homers, yeah, over four hundred doubles. Like this guy was, you know, what was he? What wasn't he doing? And, and the and the best stat too is, uh, you know. A 900 uh, plus OPS, not an OPS plus, but a 900 uh, hot or higher OPS. He actually finished at a 903. That right there says it all too. I mean, literally showing that he is being able to uh, be patient, get walks, but also having a great slugging, a 527 all-time career slugging for Jim Edmonds for a center fielder. That right there is iconic. And then a 284 hitter. I mean, everything he did, uh, just screamed all-star every single year and honestly screamed, uh, you know, MVP votes every single season. And of course, with the glove, um, also providing some of the greatest wet gems of all time. I know the catch that he did in Kansas City with the Angels with diving pretty much straight backwards will always, always be on replay highlights for I, I, as long as I can remember. I mean, I think it honestly is still to this day, possibly one of the greatest catches of MLB history. I mean, up there with Willie Mays' catch, um, some of these other guys like even Griffey's, but uh, Jim Edmonds is a guy that I, again, I, I just am very shocked that a lot of guys did not give him the love because of his time, even in St. Louis, had a lot, a lot of postseason moments in St. Louis and had a lot of good postseason moments. So um, he, he and Berkman are two guys that I, I kind of get a little bit, you know, pissed off about. So, uh, <laughs> well put. Yeah. yeah. I, I like what you said about the OPS. His OPS is a whole like 100 better than Andre Dawson. And Andre Dawson, Travis, I mean, I wasn't around when the voting happened, but I, it feels like he was probably a slam dunk because he gets tons of you know love and praise from you know his fans, of course, right, rightfully so. But um, I think that he's a good example of a guy you can compare people to and say, if this guy's a Hall of Famer, how come Berkman's not? If this guy's a Hall of Famer, how come Edmonds is not? But yeah, Travis, I'm, or at least five percent. I mean, right. <laughs> that right there is the biggest insult to me. Yeah, but yeah, it looks like he got in after like nine votes, maybe. Uh, uh, Dawson got up to seventy-seven percent. How does how does Dawson look? Just looking at the numbers, how does he get in? Uh, and guys like Berkman, Edmonds, Lofton, yeah, never pass the first round. Uh, less than five percent, one and done. It, it, it's it's just really a shame. So I don't want to put down you know Dawson, but uh, he's a good yeah. guy. I, I yeah. compare his numbers to a guy like Edmonds. I think Edmonds is just as good, um, which is kind of crazy. But uh, yeah, handful of other guys, Travis, like Dale Murphy, who great prime, mm -hmm. not great longevity, but you know the war. I think I think he should be in the conversation more than he is. Could be a better veterans committee guy in the future. Andrew Jones, we'll talk about him more next week because he's currently on the ballot still. Um, I'm excited to see if he does get it or not when his time comes. But um, he's someone we'll be monitoring too coming up. But definitely, uh, definitely. Tory Hunter also on the ballot. Yep. I think he probably won't get in, but he's still a guy who's you know over 50 career WAR. I like his case too. We'll talk about him next week. Yep, yep. Um, any any more outfitters on your list? Yeah, moving on. I have a couple more in right field. Um, Dwight Evans is someone who I think. I'm glad you brought that up because I was gonna <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Give me yeah. give me your thoughts. No, no. Basically, Dwight Evans, 67.1 WAR, um, better WAR than Vladdy, 
Snyder, Dawson, um, defense and hitting puts it all together to put one complete player out on the field. Um, I respect that. I respect a guy that's going to be um, the closest thing to a five tool guy like Dwight Evans was. So he, of course, uh, was uh, someone I really wanted to highlight when it came to that. Um, another Red Sox player that is a uh, really good player in the 60s and 70s. That's Reggie Smith, 64.6 uh, uh, career war. OPS plus better than Griffey and K-Line. Um, I just thought that, you know what, he is another guy that really got snubbed, had a career year in with the Dodgers actually in 77, um, led the NL in on base or on base percentage, and then also led the NL in OPS plus at 168. Um, just another low key, kind of a, just a good performer, 855 OPS. Um, that's Reggie Smith. And the last guy I actually have on this list is all the way back in the thirties. Um, I know we didn't really bring too many guys up because, uh, you know, most of these guys have actually made the Hall of Fame, but it's a guy by the name of Bob Johnson um, finished his career with an 899 career OPS um, and, and actually reading a lot about him uh, on some of these different articles really was a guy uh, play actually played his whole career played actually 10 years with the Philadelphia A's and then two with the Boston Red Sox and was just lost with the goats of the game. He was lost in the Gehrig, Fox, Babe Ruth kind of realm of the world. Um, it's kind of funny when you look back at some of these players today, they would be, you know, trending towards Hall of Famers. But back then, they're just, you know, simply just a, a right fielder or outfielder that really made no no noise, really was not a popular guy, and still put together great, great seasons. I know there's probably many, many more of them, but uh, really had respect for one of his numbers that he provided out there with uh, just being an almost a 300 hitter, almost a 400 on base and a 506 slugging. Um, those are three stat lines that I love to see uh, when it comes to percentage stats. So uh, Bob Johnson's another guy that I wanted to throw out there as kind of a, a also as well as snub. Yeah. Uh, great names you brought up. I'll just touch on, on Dwight Evans as well, because I did have him written down. I think it might've gotten a little bit of discredit from a low average, like 272 for the career. Might not be what the voters liked, but was a good walker and hit for good power overall. Um, oh, a 385 homer, so almost uh, a 400 homer kind of guy. 483 doubles, so was a total doubles guy playing a lot of his career at Fenway. So um, that obviously is going to help a lot. Uh, I think that he was one of the better defenders. I think one of the best right field defenders ever. Um, he gets tons of praise overall from writers and, and Red Sox fans consistently was owning that right field um that interesting kind of right field out there in Fenway yep. uh interesting corner to play but he played it perfectly um I like the Reggie Smith mentioned as well he definitely deserves credit um I also had down Dobby Abreu who I will I'll save most of that yeah. for, for next week because he's on the ballot but he's someone as a right fielder I think he kind of stacks up with these guys we're talking about very similar war numbers and Travis I also highlighted Bobby Bonds Bobby Bonds a 5.1 war per 162 also has more war than guys like Eno Slaughter, than guys like Elmer Flick, Wheelie Keeler. Tons of Hall of Famers below the guys are mentioning, right? Tons of Hall of Famers had worse wars, worse OPS pluses than Bobby Bonds. Overall, Bobby Bonds was a real five-tool player. Uh, his, I think he really gets lost in the shadow of his son, which um, back in his day, of course, he was known as like a little bit of a star, but then Barry comes around and really becomes one of the best players ever. So Bobby might be hiding in the shadow a little bit. But Travis, Bobby Bonds, over 400 steals, over 300 homers, over 300 doubles, a really unique player. Not a lot of average, but you know, good defense and a well above average hitter with a 129 
career OPS plus. So I think Bobby Bonds is someone who probably gets slept on a little bit too much. I think he doesn't get enough credit um, that he's probably due. Um, overall, Travis, so many outfielders deserve more credit than they probably have. And there's also so many outfielders who are just better war guys, better OPS guys than tons of Hall of Famers. There are tons of Hall of Famers in right field who are just worse numbers across the board than Dwight Evans, than Reggie Smith, than Bobby Bonds. So I'm glad we got to highlight some of these guys uh, and give them some credit because uh, it's it's unfortunately there's a little bit of injustice. Uh, some of these guys probably deserve some credit and they might never hear it about it. So um, for position players, that kind of wraps things up. Is there any other position players you want to talk about? That That's actually, that wraps everything up for my position players on my list. Um, a good bunch we talked about. Uh, and it's funny, a lot of these guys, you know, 70s and 80s kind of guys that, you know, just kind of got lost, I feel like, in the eras that they played in and just did not get the respect that they deserved. Um, so I'll keep moving to, to pitchers, Travis. I just have a few written down here. These are just kind of guys who, you know, there are these guys who are all these all-time Hall of Famers, of course, for pitchers, like over 100 war guys. They're obvious locks. Even guys who are like over 80, you can kind of say, okay, you're a lock. Yep. But as you kind of scroll down the list of, you know, the war leaderboards, um, it gets to a point where, okay, like you are stacking up with some of these guys, but did not get the same credit. So I'm going to first highlight uh, my first name I've written down here, which is Kevin Brown. We talked about him before on the podcast, Travis. He is someone who has like multiple, like nine more seasons, just like some crazy years for some different teams. Um, had some good postseason moments, had some good peak seasons. Overall, a 67.8 war is a great number. I think that's, you know, that for me is almost the Hall of Fame lock straight up. But you combine with the fact he was good in the postseason. He had good peak years as well. A lot to like about his career. A 127 career ERA plus is better than tons of Hall of Famers. Um, any thoughts on him? That's so funny you brought him up because I think we you must have looked at my list because, yeah, <laughs> great, I, I great promise, minds I think alike. Um, 67.8 war. Uh, biggest thing that stood out to me looking at his stat line, more, uh, actually, a higher war, more wins, and a better ERA. All three better than Roy Halladay. Wow. And Roy Halladay was a first ballot. I think he was a first or possibly a second ballot mm-hmm. Hall of Famer. But that just stands out to me right there as, you know, he's he's being so comparable to some of, you know, Roy Halladay being one, one of the great pitchers of his era, one of the great pitchers of all time. So um, really glad you brought up his name, uh, very, especially even covering some of those special seasons he had. I think it was a one one something ERA season that he had with the Florida Marlins one year. Uh, that you know, you look even look at prime numbers and say, "Wow, he's actually had a really good prime too." But he is a guy that I think definitely should get a shot to be a Veterans Committee guy to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's interesting because like some of these guys I'm going to mention, they have like uh, so yeah, 67.8 WAR for Kevin Brown. That's more than a, a total Hall of Famer like Hal Newhouser, who like was a total you know easy pick for Hall of Fame. He's actually almost tied with Jim Palmer uh, and John Smoltz, who are like. Total, total legendary pitchers. And Kevin Brown's actually very comparable in terms of war to those guys. Moving on, I also have Luis Tian written down, Travis. Yep. 66.1 career war. Um, was a, had had a big game pitcher uh, element to his game. Uh, and a great windup. A great windup. The, the ERA plus in the career is not um, as high as some others. But I think with that war number, it's, you know, it's right up there with some of these guys like Don, uh, Don Drysdale, Jim Palmer. Very comparable career value. Did not get the same credit as those guys. I actually also wrote down Dave Cohn, who I am very surprised to have written down. But it's just it's just pretty simple. Like just better war numbers than so many guys. Almost tied with Wharf with Bob Feller, who was like 
Hall. a total Hall of Famer. Yeah. Obviously, of course, Bob Feller missed some years for military service, but I just want to kind of throw out some of these guys who had super viable careers and just did not get the love, I guess. Um, so Dave Cohn is someone who, yeah, sixty-two point three career war for Cohn. That seems high, but that's just it, it. Just it's the reality. It's he was that good in his career, a one twenty-one ERA plus. So he had a good ERA in his prime as well. Um, any other pitchers coming to mind, Travis? Yeah, the last pitcher I have on my list is um, Tommy John. Uh, I'm glad you put him. Tommy John, of course, famous for the surgery. Uh, I think that, of course, definitely deserves possibly a Hall of Fame case right there. Truthfully, um, honestly, I, yeah, change, change I, baseball history. I, I mean, you look at every single season that he played, 1975, the only season he did not play, and that was, of course, because of the famous surgery. Um, really was kind of the Nolan Ryan before even Nolan Ryan started. Came out age 20 1963 with cleveland pitched all the way to 1989 he actually went 26 years in major league baseball finished with 288 career wins 12 wins shy of 300 it's kind of crazy that uh you know i'm sure he was definitely used very minimal in his later half of his career but um you almost wish he would have stuck it out for me 12 more wins and try to get to that uh that, that 300 mark but still very impressive at 288 and still a 3-3-4 ERA for his career. Um, that stacks up there with some of the greats of all time, especially with the amount of innings that he was able to pitch and have that ERA. That's honestly very, very special. He's a guy that I think that um, is is a total, you know, top, one of the top guys on this list that is a snub because, of course, the surgery and also with his performance in Major League Baseball, um, just a complete uh, you know, workhorse guy that pitched, what is it? 4,000 something innings in his career, um, almost 5,000 innings in his career, 4710 to be exact. But, um, he's the last guy for my pitchers that honestly, I think that really is a snub. I, I know the war is not great, especially for playing 26 years. You're almost looking at, honestly, you're almost looking about a two war every single year, but still, I think that's very, uh, you know, what he was able to do after that surgery, um, that really speaks for itself to really come back and have a great second half of his career. So Tommy John's my last guy. Um, think he should get a lot more consideration. I'm glad you put him in. He, yeah, it's crazy. He's at 288 career wins. So he was about a season or two away from being in a 300 club, which back then probably would have like almost locked him into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote down a couple more names that we can quickly uh, kind of gloss over. Johan Santana Travis. I think he doesn't get enough credit. 51.7 career war. Only played 12 seasons and then retired. If he played a few more, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But he just decided yeah. to end early. And I think voters punished him for that. And I don't really understand. For me, that's not punishable. I think, you know, if his prime was good enough, why do I need to see two more, like, so-so years at the end? I don't really care about, you know, I don't need that extra boost, I guess. He had a 5.5 war per 162 games. For me, he's that's that means elite pitcher to me. That means he's year in, year out, you know, an MVP vote-getter kind of guy. And I think the biggest thing for me with some of these guys is, you know, getting kicked off the ballot after like the first or second year. I, I mean, I mean, yeah. for me, like a guy like Santana should be, if, if anything, floating around the 20% every year, because looking at his stat line, I mean, he's winning the awards. He's being an elite pitcher in the early 2000s. So I, I think three the, Youngs, I think it could have been more. Yeah. yeah. Bartolo. Bartolo's a, a, a thief. <laughs> we, we love him, but we also hate him because of that. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think some of the things on these guys is the biggest insults are really you kick these guys off the first year, Lance Berkman, Jim Edmonds. I mean, I, I just say, look at these stats. Look at these numbers again. I mean, they are insane to, at, I mean, at least keep on the ballot and maybe gain votes every single year. Um, but yeah, 
these one and dones. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. These guys are not, you know, voting for some of these guys. Another guy I'll throw out there, Travis, uh, possibly the pitcher of the 80s, kind of a low-key name in terms of baseball history, but uh, Dave Steeb, 56.4 career war, uh, was a rookie in 79 and ended up pitching until 98. But that 80s decade, I think he like leads war for pitchers in that decade because uh, he played the whole decade, obviously, is a big help. But um, a 122 ERA plus, you know, overall a really great pitcher on, on some good Blue Jays teams. Could be the Blue Jays, you know, ace. I was going to say Mr. That, Blue Jay practically, yeah. Yeah, in terms of the war for sure. So he, in my mind, deserves tons of credit. Also, uh, the last name I have here, Travis, I'm going to highlight Oral Hershiser. Mm-hmm. Um, 56 career war, so good longevity. He, you know, played lots of years. Uh, combine that with the fact, you know, was a big game pitcher. Very important for the Dodgers World Series in 88. Um, overall, important pitcher for the Dodgers for the whole 80s, really, and even into the 90s. So I think that, you know, he would be a good name uh, to throw in the ring for a veterans community kind of vote. Um, I think he stacks up there with guys like, uh, you know, Dave Steve and, and whoever else. So uh, a 112 OPS, sorry, a 112 ERA plus is not like amazing, but I think the war uh, for him, for Hershiser and like the big game pitcher element in the peak seasons, how good he was in like the late 80s for me. I would give him lots of consideration. I'm not sure if I, you know, push for him super hard, but for me, he's definitely a better pitcher than some guys who are in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I'm gonna highlight him here. Um, last name is actually Doc Gooden. A super unique career. Do you vote someone in for a really amazing peak and then yeah. a big fall off? I don't know, but I think that he is someone who, I think baseball history is unfortunately not really remembering him as one of the true, true greats because he's not in the Hall of Fame. When he really is at his peak, one of the best pitchers ever. So that's definitely an unfortunate thing as well. 52.9 career war for him and not quite making the cut. Uh, Travis, now my last note on relief pitchers is that there's none in. There's like <laughs> six, I think there's like six in. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's really unfortunate. Um, we'll talk about more about that when we talk about like Joe Nathan and Pavel Bond yep. next week yep. on that ballot. But overall, relief pitchers have routinely been snubbed in my mind. Billy Wagner is trending towards like he's probably going to get in, but he's someone for me who should be a lock. Yeah. And he's barely kind of squeaking in any thoughts on relief pitchers or anyone come to mind really that kind of sum it up. Yeah. We've been, we've been neglecting these guys for so long and it kind of just sucks because that's just the position that they're put into. I mean, they, they want to be hall of famers in the end, but you know, they can only do so much. And if that's going to go out there and pitch 60 to 75 innings a year and be locked down like Billy Wagner was, um, and that's not even enough that that kind of, you know, is, is, a, is a disappointment. And I think that hopefully that should be changed because, uh, you know, they there are a lot of good lockdown relievers and closers on this ballot this year. And, you know, hopefully, honestly, all of them stay on. Hopefully that, you know, at least a good majority of them stay on so that we can, um, you know, further, you know, basically just further their, uh, you know, growth and trends to, you know, the Hall of Fame level. But, um, you know, relievers are going to be a position that probably, you know, unless your name is Mariano Rivera or, you know, someone by, you know, that, that just is has an ERA of like one, you know, just yeah. insane guy for his whole entire career most of the time will not be unanimous uh hall of famers or get in in the first or second ballot but you know they should definitely get in and honestly i mean it's amazing that you know wagner's stock isn't you know rising 10 percent almost every single year i feel like he'd be a guy that would have gotten in in like the first five years or something like that but um yeah we'll see kind of how he is trending after the 25th but of course the next episode we'll be talking about him joe nathan papelbon um, kind of seeing with a stack on our rankings or at least on our votes for the Hall of Fame. Yeah, just 
a couple relief pitchers. It's crazy. Like John Franco is fifth all time in saves. I know, he's not in the Hall I of know, Fame. And there's like guys who are way below, like Raleigh Fingers, who was great, is like not even, you know, he's fifteenth in saves, which saves is not everything, but very interesting. And we'll talk more about that next week with with Wagner and those other guys. Uh Travis, one last note. Um Pete Rose, Shoeless Joe Jackson, not in the Hall of Fame for different reasons. <laughs> um any thoughts on them, I guess? Uh do you really care? Do you think it matters to get in um Shoeless Joe, like a hundred years later, would that would that would that be a victory, or is that kind of not that important? Um, for me, I really like Shoeless Joe. I think his numbers are so crazy good, and he was having a pretty good World Series where he supposedly cheated. He had like one or two bad games, and they said, "Oh, you cheated." Maybe he did. I'm I really don't know, but um, it, it's so far removed, like hundred years, that maybe it shouldn't matter. But any thoughts on on those kind of guys? It shouldn't matter, but almost it should matter because it's like this guy is so. I mean, we, you look. We looked at a stat line. When we did the episodes last month. I mean, it's. I mean, he's out there with uh, some of the greatest primes and players of all time, especially in his era. And then when you compare him to people in other eras, um, Shoeless Joe was a freak out there. Um, same thing, of course, with Pete Rose, with you know, all-time hit leader. It just, it's you know, looking about in one week when you know if Bonds does not get in, you're going to have the all-time hit leader and the all-time homer leader not in the Hall of Fame. Different reasons, but. Um, man, the baseball hall of fame is a, is a different kind of, uh, museum it's when it weird. comes to you Imagine. Know, historic greats. But I mean, it's a different sport when you look at, um, I mean, when you look at just different athletes and, and different, you know, sports in general, um, it, it, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of crazy. It's literally like having a, what if the NBA hall of fame had no Kareem and will, that's like, that's yeah. almost what it's like. It's like most points and rebounds ever. You're not in the hall of fame. Yeah. That's almost like the comparison. Like it would be hard to imagine if that was the case, but with bonds and, you know, bonds, we'll talk about next week, but with Rose and, and a guy like Shoeless Joe, um, legendary, legendary players, legendary careers, um, not in the hall of fame. Um, a lot different than the guys we talked about. Cause the guys you talked about mostly are clean players that we know of. And, uh, uh, in our mind, deserve to be in, but I, that, that pretty much wraps up all the Hall of Fame snubs. All the snubs, yeah. There's definitely more we didn't talk about. but yep. we can't talk mm-hmm. about every single player, of course. Um, at the end of the day, there are a lot of players in the Hall of Fame that deserve it, but there are other better players who are not in, which is just a really unfortunate just reality with MLB. And we'd like to see, you know, uh, a lot more guys get in the future. So. Uh, we'll talk about next week, folks, uh, the players currently on the Hall of Fame ballot. So you guys will be hearing that next week, right before we find out who gets in this year. And after we find out who gets in, we'll discuss our reaction to, okay, did Bonds and Clemens get in? Did they not? Um, is Wagner and Roland looking like they're trending correctly or are they slipping up? We have all that for you guys coming up in the next couple episodes. So we're excited to keep the Hall of Fame train rolling. Hopefully, lockout can wrap up pretty soon, and uh, next month we can get into some of those rankings of players currently, get back into, you know, present-day MLB because this history trip has been fun, but at the end of the day, we want to uh, get MLB kind of (laughs) presently active uh, going forward. So that pretty much much wraps everything up, Travis. Uh, We'll talk to the listeners next week. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. (laughs) 